Welcome to the Living Well Video Podcast, brought to you by LifeWorks. I'm your host, Mark Hennick. Our well-being depends a great deal on our lifestyle choices, our individual style of thinking and feeling, our personal preferences and circumstances. It depends on our mental, physical, and even our financial health. But we're also not islands. Our well-being is intricately connected with other people, other people who happen to have other minds and who make other choices, who have lived other lives. It's the harmony that, that comes up between these differences, or the lack thereof anyway, which can be a significant social determinant of our health and well-being. We've been learning how to manage ourselves in relation to others since birth, and we've certainly revisited how we relate to others in the isolation and uncertainty of the last couple of years. But those early strategies that we first figured out for, for getting seen and heard by others, they play out throughout our lives. Each of us brings into this moment with each other everything we've ever been, our whole self, whether we like it or not. And in this, uh, this is especially true, I think, in our most intimate relationships. So to help me explore this a bit further, I'm joined by Ken Page. Ken is a licensed clinical social worker, a renowned psychotherapist, a popular blogger for Psychology Today, and he's the host of the Deeper Dating podcast. Ken has been featured in O, oh, the Oprah Magazine, the New York Times, and Cosmopolitan, among many others, and he's the best-selling author of Deeper Dating, How to Drop the Seduction, How to Drop the Games of Seduction, and Discover the Power of Intimacy. Ken, thank you so much for joining me on Living Well today. Thank you for inviting me, Mark. So let's start at the start. I mean, this, that's a good, good a place as any to start. Um, we learn how to attach to people as little babies and throughout our childhood. You know, ideally, that attachment style that develops, it's secure and healthy. Often, however, to varying degrees, of course, it's not. I mean, it's, it's adaptive at the time, but doesn't really necessarily promote our well-being later. So I'm interested in how you would characterize what a healthy, secure style of relating to people looks like. You know, what, what might someone's relational patterns today tell us about their early life experiences? And what are those core gifts that I've heard you talk about before uh, that come from these experiences? Yes. Well, you know, <clears throat> I, th I think that I'll just speak a little bit about the kind of classic approach to attachment styles, which says that the majority of people have um, healthy, secure attachment styles. And that means that as children, their parents took care of their needs and were responsive and saw them for who they were, met their needs, stayed in connection with them, but also encouraged mastery and growth and exploration. So people with these kind of attachment styles um, are more able to handle conflict in relationships. They're more likely to be positive people who can connect in good ways with others. And, um, but then there are people who have uh, more anxious attachment styles, and those can be broken down um, into fearful and avoidant or uh, anxious or, um, <clears throat> or dismissive avoidant. And those are, those are different attachment styles that happen when there's been some rupture in the basic safety of the relationship with one's primary caregivers. And those, those kind of different uh, attachment styles create a set of problems and difficulties and drama, if you will, in relationships that, that can make them more difficult and can keep people isolated and less connected. So that's kind of the classic theory. And I think it's, um, it's 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 well its truth is well documented but i think that there are also richer ways to understand this because 
a person who is highly sensitive in certain ways might end up having an, an, an anxious attachment style where if they didn't have those deep sensitivities, which I call core gifts, they'd be fine and they'd have secure attachment styles. So if you think about like uh, an image of a target, right? And that target is you. This is a map of your authenticity. And the closer you get in toward the center, the closer you're getting to your, your deepest authentic self, the embarrassing parts, the awkward parts, the sensitive parts, the passionate parts, the parts that get us into trouble more frequently. And these places are really our unique genius. Those of us who have very heightened sensitivities or very intense passions in our nature are more likely to get in trouble. We're more likely, even if our parents are, you know, wonderful present parents, to be they're more likely to be challenged or not understand these unique parts of ourselves. So we hide them and we become a more like socially acceptable version of ourselves. And maybe we look like we have secure attachment styles, but somehow we know we're not being seen and that ends up causing problems. So I think that this concept is a much more unique one than people really realize. And often, just as a simple example of this, to kind of like turn the apple cart a little bit, a lot of people with secure attachment styles hold those secure attachment styles at the expense of seeing and speaking truth. They care so much about a positive relationship that they block their sensitivity to difficulties, to disruptions, to dishonesties. Whereas somebody with a more anxious attachment style might be picking up on all of that stuff. And it's not that what they have is a pathology necessarily. It's that they need a skill set that is very specialized to their sensitivities and their parents were not able to help train them in being able to utilize those sensitivities or the world wasn't able to. So this is a kind of like richer framework. And what I have found is that one of the greatest determinants when we grow up of the security of our attachment style is how much we can honor these qualities that make us kind of really unique and which I call core gifts. And that is a powerful way that we can improve and heal our attachment styles is by saying, who am I really? How has that not necessarily fit into the world, but how can I embrace those parts of me and live their gifts? That's not something we're taught. Mm. No, I mean, not, not to get too psychoanalytic. I'm not usually, I don't know if, you, if you're a, a psychoanalyst or not. I generally no, am not. No uh, you know, if it's not one thing, it's your mother, right? Um, but <laughs> I think we are all just grown up, uh, our grown up versions of our childhood selves. So, I mean, you're talking about some of these, um, uh, I, I think, are adaptive at the time coping mechanisms that kids develop for how to attach, you know, is, is, um, mom or dad going to be emotionally present today? Do I know what to expect? Uh, you know, are they going to be available or, or um, is being vulnerable going to get me hurt? You know, uh, I, I think we learn to adapt, but then later, of course, that causes issues for us. So in your work as a psychotherapist, what are, you, what are some of the common adult issues that you're seeing arise uh, that you can trace back to uh, childhood attachment wounds? Well, you know, I'm going to speak in this kind of uh, core gift related way and say something else about what you said, because the kid not only has to think about, is my parent going to be available and present, but 
what are the parts of me that my parents are likely to be available and present for? And what are the parts mm -hmm. of me that they're going to like miss or neglect or milk or use to their own benefit. So what we do is we develop these parts of our personality that that our parents were able to give to us when we reflected them. And we kind of place into the shadows the qualities that our parents were not capable of mirroring. And that gets into that gets us into a lot of trouble when we're older and we're in a relationship and we need to be authentic, but we're so used to hiding X, Y, and Z and almost over-utilizing A, B, and C because those are the things that got us what we wanted as children. And that is why this kind of path to becoming authentic in intimacy is really the path to be able to sustain all the bumps in the ride that an intimate relationship really does bring. Who am I really? What am I really feeling? Is there a way that I can articulate this positively to my partner to get my needs met? That's the adult set of questions that we need to be asking. You know, I think, and most people, in my experience, nobody's normal, whatever that even means. Most people could spend so true. ages digging into their childhood, right? So I guess to what degree do you think you need to really work on yourself in order to be in a healthy relationship? And to what degree do you have to just let yourself be imperfect in a relationship with another imperfect person? That's a wonderful question. Um, a supervisor, a psychotherapy supervisor of mine used to say that the definition of a well-adjusted person is someone you don't know too well yet. And I think that's great. I think it's really, really true. So there is a way that we have to accept our imperfection. We do not get to be these airbrushed versions of perfect health because we live in a world where we could die at any time. How the hell are we going to be secure? We're, we're living in a world with such profound uncertainty. And, 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 and we're all wrestling with a great deal of pain as well as joy. So, you know, we need to be really real about that. And also, genius, our deepest gifts are not going to look normal standard, and they're not going to be easy. They're going to be complex. They're going to be challenging and they're going to be amazing too. So we kind of have to live, I think, with our, you know, deep humanity and we have to learn to honor our deep humanity. Those of us who have had trauma need to handle our trauma in a conscious way. And what that means is in the places we've been traumatized, we can't expect that we're going to act normally. We're going to need extra compassion, extra care, extra space. And we're going to need to develop skills to learn to ask for that whenever possible from our partners. So we get to be perfectly imperfect in all of these different ways. But I think that a key that doesn't get talked about is our relationship to the parts of ourselves that are, that I call core gifts that often we feel like those are our biggest curses. I'm too sensitive. I'm too intense. I'm too demanding. I'm too needy. These are the qualities that also make us who we are. So that's the other piece is that we need to honor these parts. And then we need to look for partners who can accept these parts of ourselves and even love them and see the beauty. Because if we try to make ourselves into the person we think we're supposed to be, we're going to pick the wrong person because they're not going to know who we are. So, you know, it's that honoring of our quirky self, our core gift self, and being brave enough to live that, that's going to mean 
if you want a relationship that's really alive and really full of passion and deep love, you're going to need to name and honor those very unique parts of yourself. Yeah, your quirky self. Stay weird, as I like to tell myself. Uh, we need yeah. to take a quick break. Uh, but when we come back, I'm going to talk more with Ken Page uh, about how we can honor and heal our past while also remaining present and, and even looking forward into our relationships with others. I'm Mark Hennick, and this is Living Well, brought to you by LifeWorks. We are always moving forward. In our changing world, there is an unchanging principle for success that inspires us by improving a person's life. We'll improve how they perform at work. We are LifeWorks. We are the world's leading total well-being provider. We are innovators with tech-enabled solutions and one integrated platform. We have the scale of a large company with the agility of a startup. We are experts in our sector and are continually learning so that we continue to be valued and trusted partners. Our mission is to improve people's lives by supporting the whole person, their mental, financial, physical, and social well-being. We empower people to prioritize their well-being and help them with challenges at important moments in their lives. We believe this creates happy, healthy, and empowered people. These people are the heart of successful organizations, leading these organizations to a more resilient future and making a real difference in the world and in our communities. We are moving forward with purpose, improving lives, improving business. We are LifeWorks. Welcome back to the LifeWorks Living Well podcast. I'm your host, Mark Hennick. I'm continuing a conversation about the importance of relationships to our well-being with author and psychotherapist Ken Page. He's also the host of the Deeper Dating podcast on Apple Podcasts. So far, we've scratched the surface, Ken, of how people learn to relate to others, for better or for worse, for better and for worse. Um, now I'm hoping that we can skip ahead a bit and, uh, and talk about what this looks like in our present relationships. So in your work as a psychotherapist, I wanted to come back to this idea of um, how often our childhood templates of relationships uh, get projected out onto our intimate partners. You know, it's not just all about us, of course, dealing with our own stuff. Um, we're, we're, we're trying to be in a relationship with somebody else who has their own stuff too. So in your work, how much of, how much of your work with people is trying to, uh, to unpack that as the root cause of relationship issues, uh, perhaps some sort of a, a attachment issue? Uh, that was all beautifully stated, Mark, and, and so true. And um, so I think that we enter into our relationships, it's almost like we're holding a backward-facing mirror in front of us, and we're seeing who we think we are, and we're seeing our past, while our partner is on the other side of the mirror, and we're not necessarily seeing them. And the task is to actually, we can't get rid of the trauma, the hypnoses, the templates that we've emotionally experienced. But what we can try to do is take the mirror, pull it down, see our partner, 
and speak to them about who we are and who they are. And that breaks the hypnosis of our past to some significant degree. That's why a current relationship is the greatest antidote to our old patterns, having a current, real, authentic relationship with our partner. Because, for example, one of the ways that this plays out is that we assume our partner is going to disappoint us in the same ways that our primary caregivers disappointed us. That's holding up the mirror, and that's what we're seeing, is our past. Mm. What happens when we do that is we don't share our needs. But what's really interesting about that is like, here we are, we're not sharing our needs. We are assuming that we're not sharing our needs because our partner won't meet our needs. We are actually assuming rejection and not reaching out and stretching for saying who we are and what we want. When we pull down the mirror, when we look at the person in front of us, then we can say, this is what's missing for me. This is why I'm not feeling safe. This is how I would like to be touched. This is what I would love to do with you. And when we do that and the partner responds, we remember who they are and we see the present instead of the past. Now, often the partners we choose are going to replicate our experiences. And that's an entirely, you know, that's a really, really rich subject. Harville Hendricks, the brilliant theoretician, says that the people we're most attracted to are the people who embody both the best and the worst characteristics of our primary caregivers. And it's like our psyche wants to go back to the scene of the original crime to finally be loved right, which is why the people we're so attracted to so often are people that hurt us. So all of that mm. is true, but still you got two adults who pull down the mirror and look at each other and say, let's try again as us. Let's try to do better. And that's the healing act. And that's how we create. If you're with a partner who's willing to do that, that's how you move into a secure attachment. First of all, honoring yourself and what your needs are, admitting them to yourself, being brave enough to speak them, and then interacting with your partner in a way that your needs then get met and theirs do too. That's the healing journey. That's the journey that brings happiness in love. And that's the journey that portends a happy future with our partner. You know, I, I think it's a, a hot zone of potential relationship conflict when one or both partners doesn't really pra practice the uh, appropriate level of charity and acceptance. And I say appropriate because there have to be boundaries, right? There have to be limits. But um, when they don't uh, when they're not gentle enough or flexible enough with the journey that the other person is going through, maybe they're not ready to pull down that mirror yet, or maybe they don't feel safe uh, to do that yet. So I guess I'm wondering how how romantic partners can support the growth of the other person, the self-directed growth, not pushing them, of course, to change, but anything like that, or not clinging to who you want them to be. But how can you support their their your partner's self-actualization? You can ask yourself two powerful questions. This is the path to discovering both your core gifts and your partner's core gifts. These two very, very powerful and very simple questions. The questions are this. You look at your partner and you think, what inspires him or her or them the most? What fills this person's heart? What makes them feel good and safe? And what hurts them? 
what makes them feel slighted what makes them get their themselves what makes them defensive what causes them sadness and pain and you look at that and you can determine their core gifts in other words the places where their deepest sensitivity and passion lies and that applies interactively professionally sexually in your sexual relationship in all of these different arenas what touches them the most in positive ways what touches them the most in negative ways and you then articulate to yourself well these are their gifts and you do the same with yourself and the more you ask those questions and honor the answers the richer and the closer your relationship will be the more you help them the more you help yourself but they're not questions that we're really trained to be sensitive to because we always think oh we're being too sensitive we shouldn't be hurt like that or oh this is positive but let's move on to the next problem in our checklist of problems we need to learn how to slow down and really appreciate the answers to those two questions mm, that's that's beautiful i've i've been reading um I'm not sure if you're familiar with Tara Brock, uh, meditation instructor. Oh, yeah. Uh, work, but yeah. She, she has a new book out, and, and it's an old, um, I believe, Buddhist uh, philosophy, uh, philosophy about this idea uh, to meet your edge and soft, soften. Um, and by that, yes. uh, she's exploring this idea that, you know, you, you feel something uncomfortable in you. you. You see that person is triggering some powerful emotion in you, that partner, whatever it is. You want to get defensive. You want to be critical or whatever it is. Uh, and instead of responding to that uh, in a negative or combative or defensive way, softening into it and, and maybe saying, uh, this might hurt, and it might hurt, but letting it hurt to a degree. Um, I think that's the trust that relationships require, you know, that, that letting down of your defenses and being totally authentic and vulnerable with your partner. Absolutely. And, you know, we grow that trust little by little. And they say that all relationships are a, pro a constant process of rupture and repair rupture and repair and that's the way it's supposed to be if you don't have fear of intimacy you're not breathing because intimacy is the most precious thing we own and there's got to be fear around it so you know it's this process of growing and connecting and the beautiful thing that happens is you can have a lot of disturbance and rupture in your connection you know maybe not huge ones but but ones that bother you and then there's a moment of deep connection and the other stuff just fades away if it's a partner you love and care about and that's that's an amazing and beautiful thing if we stick around to do the work for that yeah. What's something that, before we wrap up here, somebody listening can, uh, assuming they're in a, uh, if not a romantic relationship, maybe they're dating somebody, or maybe this, is, maybe this applies as well to close friends, to parents, to kids. What's something that, that simple that somebody can take away after listening to this to go and do and improve their relationship in some way? Well, this is something that comes from Harville Hendricks again, and I just think it's very beautiful and powerful. And it's when you're upset, to ask yourself, what was I needing there? Like optimally in the best world, what would I have gotten? And then Harville Hendricks has this phrase, which is very beautiful, turn your anger into an ask. So when we can actually find the need that we're trying to cover up or not really owning or embracing and put words on it and then think, what would have met this need in the best possible world? And we validate that and then we find a way to ask. That's a powerful thing because usually we just get snippy or angry or hostile. So turn your anger into an ask. Figure out what your ask would be 
And your world and your heart will soften just by doing that. Ken Page, he's a licensed clinical social worker, a renowned psychotherapist. It's clear why. Uh, he's the host of the better of the Deeper Dating podcast and the best-selling author of Deeper Dating: How to Drop the Games of Seduction and Discover the Power of Intimacy. Thanks so much for joining me, Ken. Thank you. It was a delight. That's all the time we have for today on Living Well. If you enjoyed the conversation and you'd like to listen to our many past conversations on a range of topics related to health and well-being, head over to Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and most other podcast platforms. Like and subscribe and share it with your friends and colleagues. You can also watch on my YouTube page uh, and on my social media pages as well. I'm at Mark Hennick on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram. This has been the Living Well video podcast for LifeWorks, and I've been your host, Mark Kenick. Until next time, take care and live well. Mm-hmm.